The reading for this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, we come to a passage uh, in Ephesians which is not the easiest to preach on, uh, as you might be able to, uh, might be able to imagine, uh, having heard that reading. This is my picture uh, to begin the sermon, um, and to kind of explain, uh, hopefully, where, where we might be going. Um, it, it is rather a minefield uh, of a passage, and a minefield to talk about uh, to, do with, uh, to do with marriage, and what this passage uh, has to say. Um, so I just, I really encourage you, right at the start, would you please give me grace as, uh, as I speak on this. Um, if I say something in the wrong way or in a way that hits a nerve with you, um, can I give you my apologies in advance? Is that okay? Um, uh, please give me the benefit of the doubt if I say something you think, oh, I'm not sure about that. Um, I just encourage you to come and have a word with me afterwards if you like or have a, have a chat uh, with other people around. Um, also, I mean, this is a huge topic as well, topic of, uh, of marriage and uh, um, and uh, when uh, Anna and I uh, first um, got together, uh, we listened to a nine-sermon series uh, by uh, the preacher Tim Keller uh, on this one passage. Um, so a nine-sermon series on this one passage, and each sermon was about 40 to 45 minutes long. Um, I've got 20 minutes this morning, 25 maximum, and I've got one sermon on it. Okay, so there's so much stuff in this that I'd love to explain, which I'm just not going to have the opportunity uh, to do so. So this is kind of the beginning of a discussion rather than the end of it, if that makes sense. Um, and also, this is something for everybody. I know that there are people here in lots and lots of different um, circumstances. Uh, there were people here who are married uh, and you're very happy with being married. Um, there are people, will be people here who are, are not married, and you are very happy uh, with not being married. There might be some people here who are married, and maybe are not happy with being married, and people who are not married who are not happy with not being married. Does that make any sense? A bit of a tongue twister. But anyway, there are people here in all different circumstances, as well as people here who would be uh, widowed or a widower, uh, divorced, uh, separated, or a whole kind of other uh, options, I guess, of where people are. 
And Christchurch is a little bit, it's not unique in this, but it, is, it bucks the trend in that the majority of members of Christchurch who are adults over 18 are unmarried. In a lot of churches, you actually find the majority of people over 18 are married. But in Christchurch, because of our age demographic and things, the majority of people over 18 are unmarried. Um, and therefore, you may be feeling, okay, does this really apply to me if I'm not married? Okay, well, I'd encourage you to engage with, uh, with this sermon. Firstly, you never know what the future holds. Secondly, you can at least give advice to your married friends. <laughs> and thirdly, and the final point that we'll come to today as part of this sermon, is that actually it's all about you. Actually, it is all about all of us, whether we're married or unmarried. But we'll come to that uh, right at the end of this talk. So, uh, if you can put up the next slide, uh, Andrew. This is a bit of a roadmap of how we're going to attempt to navigate this minefield. Okay. Um, uh, so, just five things. Modern marriage, a definition of marriage, submitting in marriage, roles in marriage, and a picture of marriage. Okay. So that's the, this is how we're going to navigate through the minefield. And as I said, my apologies if I step on a few mines as, uh, as we go through. Okay. But why don't I pray for us uh, as we begin looking at this together. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, today you may give us soft hearts to hear what you have to say to us. I pray that any of my words that are not of you, may they be... Uh, blown away like chaff, but things that are of you, uh, that you wish to say to each one of us today, may we be in a position to hear them. I ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, number one, modern marriage. (laughs) Whatever you think about marriage and the idea of marriage, it has radically changed in the last couple of generations. If you think about the generation that maybe your grandparents uh, were part of, um, they, if they were, well, they may still be alive, uh, but actually if you think about the generation that they grew up in, a lot of them would be very surprised and maybe would not even believe the prominence of divorce in our culture today. Or the prominence of marriage being an option alongside maybe lifelong living together. Or the changes that have happened in marriage, whether it's marriages, marriages between people of the same gender, or even marriages between more than two people, uh, three or four people that uh, I've read reports of uh, happening. Now, you may think that some of these changes are good, um, and you may think that some of these changes are not so good, but whatever you think about marriage, we can't deny that there have been huge changes in the concept and understanding of marriage over the last couple of generations. And as a society, we are still working out, the, if you like, the social ramifications of those changes. And the temptation for us is to look back at the way marriage has been understood in the past and say, do you know what? They got it all wrong about marriage. How can those people believe that about marriage? How dare they suggest that they have anything to teach us, us modern enlightened people, to do with marriage when we are so enlightened? Yet, we live in a culture where 42% of marriages end in divorce. 42% of marriages end end in divorce. Half of them in the first 10 years of marriage. Next year, Anna and I will have been married 10 years. So, uh... The stats are, going down. stats are good for us to stay together, right? 
42% of marriages end in divorce. 47% of children age 16 don't live with both their birth parents. So almost 50% of children age 16 don't live with both their birth parents. There are obviously a whole number of reasons for that. So I'm not trying to say that some of those reasons are they're all bad reasons. Um, but it is the reality that almost 50% of children don't live with both their birth parents. Marriage breakup and family breakdown is estimated to cost £44 billion a year. All the social, if you like, issues or problems that come along with it. That's £1,470 per taxpayer per year in our culture today. It's a huge thing. Yet despite those difficulties and the changes in marriage, people still love, often love the concept of the, a marriage day. If you think about everything that came along with uh, Harry and Meghan uh, getting married uh, earlier this year, there's this sort of delight of the joy of the, of the marriage day. Uh, so on the one hand, we sort of have this delight and joy in marriage, but on the other hand, I think as a culture, we are more clueless than ever as to how to make marriage work. Hence, we're looking today at some ancient wisdom to do with marriage. And whatever we may think of this passage from Ephesians that we've heard read, whatever we may think about it, we have to be open to the fact that we as a culture today might not have marriage right. There may be some things we've got wrong. So I encourage us to be open to what this passage has to say to us. Okay, that's the first bit then, modern marriage. What about the first thing, a definition of marriage? I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may update your Facebook status. What is marriage? I love, I, I usually prefer when I'm going through a passage to go through sequentially, to begin at the top verses and, and go through, but I, I think it makes sense to begin with something in the middle of the passage today that's something to do with a definition of marriage. Now, if you go online and you look for a definition of marriage, most of the definitions are negative, actually. I'd like to read you some of the definitions that I picked up online. Here's the first one. Marriage is just a fancy word for adopting an overgrown male child who cannot be handled by his parents anymore. <laughs> you laughed a little too loudly there, Anna. I should point out, sorry, if you don't know, Anna's my wife, just in any way. Here's the second definition. Getting married is like trading the adoration of many for the sarcasm of one. <laughs> third definition. Um, marriage is betting someone half your stuff that you'll love them forever. Or finally, marriage is like a deck of cards. In the beginning, all you need is two hearts, but by the end, you wish you had a club and a spade. What about a biblical definition of marriage? Well, verse 31 in the passage from today says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is taken from, this is a quote from Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. In the creation narrative where Adam and Eve first met uh, each other. Uh, and this is a significant kind of verse because it's not just there in Genesis. It's quoted here in Ephesians. In, in fact, it's one of the most quoted verses in, from the Old Testament in the New Testament. 
Jesus quotes it twice, once in the Gospel of Matthew, once in the Gospel of Mark. Paul quotes it twice, once here in Ephesians and also once in 1 Corinthians. This verse, if you can go on to the next slide, Andy, that'd be great. Here it is. For this reason, a husband will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. In summary, marriage, in terms of what the Bible says about this, is the taking of a man and a woman and joining them together in one flesh. What does this mean? What does it, particularly, what does it mean to become one flesh? Well, in the very next verse, Paul says, this is a profound mystery, which is very helpful of Paul. Thank you very much. But if I was trying to work out what I thought it might mean, I think it's the joining together of two people in a number of different ways. Joining together physically in sexual union, as the marriage service says, and to living together as a family unit as distinct from their parents. I think it's the joining together legally, um, becoming one, if you like, financial unit, sharing everything under law. It's uh, joining together emotionally, feeling deeply one another's joys and sorrows. In marriage, if uh, your husband or wife is feeling sad, then it's kind of, it should be impossible for you to feel happy, if some, in some ways, if that makes sense. Uh, that actually there is a joining together emotionally. There's also a joining together socially, that actually you are seen as one unit, one new family unit by others. And this happens actually across the world and has happened across the world for generations. Even in tribes where they've never met anyone from the outside world, whether it's a, you know, in the middle of deep in the Amazon or wherever, husbands and wives are given and taken in marriage and make exclusive lifelong commitments to each other. I'm sure if you searched hard enough, you could find an example of somewhere where that wasn't the case. But overall, historically and across the world, that is what happens. I make that point because marriage is not a social construct. It's not something that's evolved. It is the framework that God has designed within which this special romantic and sexual love can flourish. It's the framework God has designed. Now, what does that mean for us today? Well, in our individualistic society today, we really don't like this idea of being joined together with someone else. It kind of has this concept of tying ourselves down or limiting our options for the future. We kind of don't like that. Yet, this is the central idea, biblical idea of marriage. The leaving of our previous family to make a new unit of one flesh together. And problems arise when we try to take the intimacy or pleasure of marriage without the commitment of marriage. That's when things often start to break down, uh, if you like. That actually taking the sort of the nice bits of marriage, but without the commitment of marriage. That's, it's like taking, it's like being very vulnerable with someone. Intimacy and commitment go together. And actually, if you're being intimate with someone, you're opening yourself up to being very vulnerable to them. And hence, the framework of marriage is designed to protect that vulnerability. That's why I believe that the Bible says no to sex outside of marriage. The powerful intimacy of sex is designed for within the commitment of marriage. It's why living together without being married is not God's best for us. Again, it's taking the intimacy of marriage, but without the framework of commitment in place. The same can be said for 
pornography or masturbation. Again, it's sexual arousal and intimacy, but outside of God's framework of marriage. This marriage definition also means no to prenuptial agreements. If you know what a prenuptial agreement is, it's people getting married and saying, well, actually, um, I'm not convinced we're going to last as a couple. We might do, we might not. So I'd like to keep this stuff over here. So if we do break up, I still get to keep all of this. That's not really becoming one flesh with somebody else. That's saying, I want to hedge my bets. That's not real marriage. The, the reality of marriage from, in the Bible is that we have two choices. Either faithful monogamous, lifelong marriage between a man and a woman or celibacy. And it's really difficult to argue from Scripture that anything else other than those two options is God's plan for marriage. Having said that, though, I want to say loud and clear that everybody is welcome here at Christchurch. Whatever your past sexual relationships, whatever the status of your current relationship, whatever your sexual orientation, as Christians and as a church, we live with this tension, this real tension of grace and truth. God loves everybody, whoever they are, and Jesus died for you, whoever you are. And the church is called to be welcoming to everybody. At the same time, God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And we are all people in need of some sort of restoration, hence our vision statement, seeing lives restored through Jesus. And God longs for us to walk within the framework that he has created for our lives. Okay, I could finish the sermon now and I feel like I'd have enough to think about and you've probably all got enough to talk about, but there's more to say. Okay. So two, these, we've got these two sort of thorny issues that this passage comes up with, which we can't really avoid talking about. Firstly, submitting in marriage, and secondly, roles in marriage. Are you ready? Okay. Submitting in marriage. I'm a Christian. Does that mean I really need to put up with all my husbands? And I blanked that word out. I'm not sure it was appropriate for church. but <laughs> Submitting in marriage. Verse 22, you might have noticed as Ed read it, says this, Wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And that's often the bit where we read it and we go, Ooh, I'm not sure. Is that really there in the Bible? Is that there? Oh, gosh, what's uh, Graham going to say about that? Well, so often that's a verse that I believe is taken out of context. It's taken out of context. Uh, And I'm going to get a little bit uh, technical here, so you're going to have to bear with me for a second. If you've got your Bibles open in front of you, uh, the verse before... Verse 21, so Ephesians 5, um, verse 21, says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then goes on to say, Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Verse 21 is the heading for this section. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit does not actually appear in verse 22 in relation to wives. I hate it when you kind of, it's kind of good and bad, you know, but when when preachers say this, in the original Greek, it doesn't actually appear there. Instead, literally, what it says is this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. In other words, 
what I think it's saying is, here's the heading, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, this is how to do it in relation to your husbands. A bit later on, verse 25, husbands, this is how to do it in relation to your wives. And then a bit later on, next week, if you're here, it talks about family. Children, this is how to do it in your context you're in. Parents, this is how to do it in the context you're in. Slaves, this is how to do it. Masters, this is how to do it. In other words, it's a heading for this section. What that means for marriage is that it is all about mutual submission. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does that mean? Well, again, we in our sort of Western culture don't really like this idea of submitting. We live in a very individualistic society where self is first, and to sort of submit to someone else it kind of gives us the impression of being wrong or somehow being very weak. If you search on Google Images for the, and you put in the words, putting others first, there are loads of pictures which come up with the quotation, that's the problem with putting others first. You've taught them that you come second. That's the problem with putting others first. You've taught them that you come second. We live in a culture that does not like or naturally like this idea of putting others first. But actually, it's a very, very strong thing to do. To be able to say, I want to put you and your needs first. A mindset of the other person first. And the temptation in marriage is for marriage always to become a bargain or a partnership. Now, in some ways, marriage is a partnership, but it's so much more than a partnership. The temptation is for marriage to become, I will do what you want if you do what I want. I will play my half of the bargain if you do yours. But in the marriage service, there is no if. I will love you and respect and honor you if... I will do this if you do this. That doesn't exist there in the marriage service. The temptation is that marriage, though, becomes a partnership with two people living in a deal, not a marriage. And you know what? If you try doing that, it doesn't work anyway. If you're keeping score in marriage, we inevitably score ourselves better and feel aggrieved that the other person isn't doing their bit. People sometimes say that marriage is about give and take. But I think if you go into marriage with that sort of concept, I don't think that is really very helpful. Actually, marriage is about give and give. Because if you go into the kind of concept of give and take, you'll be forever keeping score. I'd like to give you an example from uh, my marriage. What, what, does it, what does it look like for in our marriage, this idea of uh, submitting? Um, and I've got a bit of a trivial example, which I'm going to share with you. Um, and that is to do with keeping the house tidy. Okay? Um, we discovered pretty early on in marriage... We discovered pretty early on in marriage that I tend to be a little messier than, uh, than Anna. Um, one of the things that I guess I grew up with was I'd leave things a mess, and then after a while, I would sort of blitz everything and do a big tidy. And that was the way that I was brought up as a kid. My, my parents, my mum particularly, didn't mind if our rooms were a complete dump. Uh, but when it got to holiday or half term, we weren't allowed to do anything fun until our uh, rooms were tidy. Okay? So that was, that was the kind of concept and idea uh, that I grew up with. Anna is much better at tidying as she goes along. Okay? We discovered pretty quickly in marriage, though, that this caused some problems. Uh, mostly because as Anna tidied as she went along, the house never got messy enough for me to do my blitz. Um, so, as, uh, when we discovered this, part of my, if you like, submitting to what Anna 
wanted and what Anna, what Anna would like was uh, trying to say, trying to tell myself, okay, I need to tidy up as I go along because I know that that's what Anna would appreciate and what would be best for her. So I'm just going to do my best to try and tidy up as I go along, to put things away. Um, and I really do try, honestly, try. I know I get things wrong regularly. One of the areas that uh, has often gone wrong is, you know, the milk bottle. You know, you get the kind of four pints of milk or six pints of milk and you unscrew the top and just underneath is a little silver top it comes off, you know. And I know that when you, know, when you get the milk out of the fridge, you undo the top, you take, you take off the silver bit, and what you want to do then is you, want, you want to pour your drink, don't you? Um, now, Anna, well, the first thing Anna would do would be to take that silver thing over to the bin and put it in the bin, and then pour a drink. But uh, I want to do my drink first. And I think, well, I'll do that little silver top later. Sadly, on a number of occasions, I forget to then go and put that silver thing in the bin. And this has been pointed out to me very kindly and very gently by Anna. So I have tried my hardest. I said to Anna the other day, I've really been trying my hardest to every time I open it, to go over to the bin first, to put it into the bin, and then use the milk to make my drink. Anna laughed and said, I have been failing a, bit, a little more often than maybe I, I would like to admit. I still leave them on the side, but I've been trying my hardest. And that kind of is what marriage is about, saying... I know I do these things differently to you, but I want to, I'm going to try to change my mindset to do actually what I know is best for you. Anna, on her part, has been very gracious in not getting frustrated with me at leaving stuff out, knowing that I just don't see stuff sometimes. And it's not that I'm being unloving, I just don't get it. That's a trivial example, but it applies to other bigger things as well, whether it's what we do for holidays whether it's how we work, whether it's how we parent the kids, whether it's what we do on our days off, whatever it may be, trying to put the other person first. And the best marriages work when you've got two people saying, how can I serve you to the other person? How can I do what's best for you? Now, before I move on to the next point, just a couple of other things. Firstly, you may say, hang on a minute, isn't this submitting thing open to abuse? What happens if someone's actually just giving and giving and the other person is just taking and taking? What about that? Well, the idea of this is not that you're serving someone else's wants, but that actually you are serving their needs. And if you are in a situation where you are being abused physically or emotionally, what's going to be the best for that situation and the best for even for the other person, the abuser in that situation? The best thing to do is actually to remove yourself from that situation. It's not saying the marriage is definitely over, but it is saying, actually, in order to bring stuff to the light and to be a blessing in that situation, I've got to remove myself from that situation and to seek help. Final thing is that also submitting in marriage and serving is never demanded. It's always offered. It's never right in marriage for someone to say, you promised in marriage to serve me and to submit to me, therefore you need to do this. That's never appropriate. Submitting and service is always offered to someone else, never demanded. Okay, ready for the next one? <laughs> Actually, I think I should say we're out of time, I can't do the next one. Anyway, okay, we'll go through it. So the next one, roles in marriage. Hello, 1950s. You've left your oppressive gender roles in our century. Can you come and pick them up, please? <laughs> Despite what I've said about men and women joined together in mutual submission, the passage does seem to say different things to men and to women, to husbands and wives. We can't 
really get away from that. So I just want to look very briefly at that. And before, but, but, but before we look at what it says about roles in marriage, you need to recognize that there are roles in every marriage. If there weren't, then you wouldn't really be a good team together. In a good team, roles are shared out. Not everyone does everything in a good team. The question is, who has which roles in a marriage? And this is what uh, it says, verse 23 to 24. This is talking uh, to wives. Well, read from verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Summary, wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. What does it say to husbands? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. In summary, husbands are to submit to their wives as Christ submits to the church. So wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ, and husbands are to submit to their wives as Christ submits to the church. What does that mean? And there is so much written on this passage and on this topic, just tons of it. There's no way I could spend, I could explain it all to you, let alone read it all. Uh, There's also the issue that, if I'm being really honest, and Anna and I were chatting about this last night, I'm not 100% sure what it means, if I'm being really honest. Aaron and I have talked about it, but I'm not 100% sure what it means about roles in marriage. In what I think, though, it is, this passage is suggesting is that within a marriage, the husband has some sort of responsibility of leadership. And I think that's the most I can probably say from that, from this passage uh, at the moment. Now, just bear with me for a second. Paul knows that that lead role of leadership is open to abuse. So he makes it abundantly clear what he means by this. If you look at the passage, there's about three verses referring to what wives' responsibilities and roles are. There's considerably more verses referring to uh, the husband and what the husband's uh, requirement is. This is also in the context of mutual submission and service. Leadership is about service. It is about saying what is absolutely best for the other person. And actually, if the husband is to lead in the way that Christ led the church, what did Christ do for the church? Christ gave up his life for the church and died on the cross for the church, spilt his blood for the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul makes it abundantly clear that a husband who uses their leadership for their own advantage is completely out of line and not living how they should. What does this mean in practice? Well, the short answer, as I've just said, is I'm not 100% sure. Anna and I are still working it out. I can tell you what it doesn't mean. When people think of roles in marriage, what they often think of is jobs. Ah, yes, the husband goes out to work while the wife stays at home and looks after the kids. Husband mows the lawn and does the DIY while the wife does the cooking and the cleaning. That is not what Paul is saying. That is not what Paul is saying at all. 
bear in mind that the idea of going out to work is actually a very modern concept. Historically, a lot of people, actually, in, as, in, as couples, would have lived and worked together in the same house. If they had a shop or something underneath, they would have lived above it. If they were, worked on the fields, they would have done it together. In other words, they actually would have brought up the kids and done the work together in the same unit. So that idea of a kind of a, if you like, you know, the picture of a 1950s idea or a Victorian idea is actually a very modern idea of roles of marriage. So that's not what Paul is saying. So what is Paul saying about roles and this idea of leadership? Well, as I said, Anna and I are still working it out. But to give you an example of what it means for Anna and for I, is we decided when we got married that we listened to some of these uh, sermons on marriage and we took something from it. Uh, And what, what we decided was that if in our marriage we got to an occasion where we had to make a decision on something, but Anna and I couldn't agree what the decision was, that... As long as Anna was happy with it, uh, I would make the decision, and I would live with the consequences and the responsibility of making that decision. And that's kind of where Anna and I got to with that. Now, as Anna and I were chatting about it, that's actually, we think, only been a reality once in our marriage, in our 10 years of marriage. Uh, And if you'd like to know, I can't explain the whole context now, but it was over the idea, over the context of getting our kids baptized. If you want to know more about that, you can have a chat, to, have a chat with Anna. But for a number of reasons, Anna was not convinced about getting the kids, get, getting um, babies baptized, whereas I was convinced about getting babies baptized. And so we had a long discussion about it, a long debate about it. But at the end of the day, Anna said to me, you know, Graham, this is one of those occasions when I'm happy, Graham, for you to make the decision. And, you, and, and, and I, me, Graham, I, I will live with the consequences and, and you know, the reality of, of, that, of that decision. We ended up, we got the kids baptized. Um, if you chat to Anna, Anna would say her views on it have slightly changed uh, over the years, um, but uh, I'll leave that for Anna to explain to you. But that's the reality of what we think it kind of works out in our life. If you want to know any more about that, ask me in about two years' time uh, when, uh, when uh, we've had a chance to live it out uh, a little bit more. Okay, I hope that that is helpful in some way. So, uh, I could end now, but I'd love to just talk about the final uh, part of this passage, the picture of marriage. If all of this that I've said has been confusing to you, or all of it, and I've said it and you've gone, like, I don't really understand it, or I don't really agree with you on that, uh, you're in good company. Because Paul says, as I said earlier, this thing about marriage is a profound mystery. Verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. In other words, Paul's saying, you know, I'm not actually really talking about marriage. I I am, but I'm also not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. You see, there's an image in Scripture of the church being the bride of Christ. Now, on a wedding day, often the bride spends ages getting themselves ready. The bloke might comb his hair if you're lucky, but the bride is often hours getting themselves ready ready, the dress being perfect, to be presented in church as a perfect bride. And that's one of those ooh, ah moments of a wedding where the bride enters and everyone turns around and sees uh, a beautiful bride uh, walking in. And that is what Jesus has done for us. One of the images used in scripture is that we have made ourselves unlovable, dirty and unfaithful. 
Scripture uses the image of mankind as a betrothed uh, woman uh, who chooses, rather than going to their person they're going to marry, chooses to become a prostitute and flings themselves at anyone else. But Jesus came to find us, clean us, and make us spotless for him. Uh, That's for men and for women, by the way. We are together, the image in Scripture, being the bride of Christ. And that's for all of us, whether we are married or not, or whatever our life circumstances. And that's also why we have to look to Jesus if we want to have a successful marriage. I talked earlier about marriage being give and give. How can we keep on giving? How can we keep forgiving? How can we keep thinking the best of the other person unless we ourselves know how much we ourselves have been forgiven and how much we are loved? That gives us the ability to love and to bless and to serve other people, whether we are married or not, by knowing that we have first been forgiven. Whether you're married or not, that is what is going to give you the strength to love anyone. Okay, there we go. Um, I'd like us to respond uh, to this. I, I realize there's a whole load of stuff that I've mentioned. There's probably a whole load of stuff that you're thinking, well, I'd like to ask Graham about that, and why did Graham say that, and I'd like to talk about this, and I'd like to read a commentary on that passage, or whatever, whatever it might be, and uh, I realize there's a lot in there, which is why I said in some ways this is the beginning of a discussion rather than the end. Um, but I would like us to spend a moment just bringing ourselves, bringing our, our questions, our thoughts, our hearts, our current situation before God ourselves and just or if you like laying them before God and saying God this is where I'm at at the moment in life these are my thoughts on this and uh, I just want to lift them up before uh, before you so we're going to spend a moment uh, doing that um, and then I'm going to lead us on to spend a moment praying for um, friends and family uh, and maybe even ourselves in who are people who are in marriages um, marriage is I think more and more complicated today, particularly because of the changes and the not the, just the misunderstanding or the not sure about what marriage is. So, actually, praying for good, lifelong marriages. Um, the the the, um, the marriage ceremony in the Anglican Church says this: that marriage is a sign of unity and loyalty, which all should uphold and honour. Marriage enriches society and strengthens community. Everyone wins when there are strong marriages around. Everyone wins when there are strong marriages around, in culture, in society, in everywhere.